This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Dawn Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel. Today, I'm pleased to speak with a 35-year veteran of stand-up comedy whose albums have been number one on Amazon and iTunes and have over 50 million views on Spotify and Pandora. She is the host of the long-running podcast, The Dork Forest, and The Jackie and Lori Show. On this episode, we talk about the first jokes we've ever written, the invention of her childhood game, Imagination, and we break down the definition of dork, nerd, dweeb, weirdo, and geek. Stay tuned for an extended staycation with devilishly clever comedian, Jackie Cation. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free. Hello, Pat. I couldn't be a bigger Jackie Cation fan. I think you're funny and I think you're talented and whimsical and nutty. And I'm moving into season two of this podcast, Creativity and Captivity. But I am graced by the princess of podcasting who has been in the market before me with the fabulous Dork Forest. This is the 14th year of the Dork Forest. Oh, 14th year. That's, yes, this, it just started, yeah. It's amazing. So first of all, you obviously have found all of your rangers. That's what you call your followers, right? Right. That's what they called themselves uh, oh. 10 years ago. And so I was like, okay, yeah, rangers, <laughs> rangers of the Dork Forest. And it's a good D&D reference. It's so funny, though, because it's been sort of an organic process. It started in 2006 when there weren't a lot of podcasts. And I'm not... A marketing genius. And I think all comics anyway know about it, but it's not WTF. It isn't never not funny. Those guys are really good marketer dudes, right? Right, but yours is kind of the underground bar that people know where to go and the fun's going to be happening there. Yeah, I'm a zine, man. I'm a zine from the 90s. You guys, Uh (laughs) let's do this. And uh, super fun. I subscribe to the uh, philosophy that your vibe becomes your tribe. Really nice. There's something so natural about your storytelling, and really, I admire it. Anybody to me that knows how to keep the truth at the heart of something means, especially for an observational comic, you're not busy writing a clever joke about being on an airplane. You're living your life. I'm on an airplane. You and are. then I'm like, you better you write are. a punchline. And you're in the middle. <laughs> you're in the middle seat because you've always got a good view of things. But that's just some of the fun. We met in Mill Valley, I think. Oh, right? was it? Yeah, that sounds right. I I had seen or heard your material before, and you really made me laugh. But I think it was at the uh, Throckmorton Theater. Yeah. Which is a great gem, little jewel box theater up there that was doing shows on Tuesdays. And we met at the breakfast level of the hotel. The fanciest Hampton Inn uh, <laughs> cup of waffle ever, <laughs> essentially. Because yeah, Mill Valley I'm... is, this is one of the whitest places on the whole wide world. There's a brick and mortar Eileen Fisher store. Now, I know you to be a reader and you're self-proclaimed reader from young age and through most of your activities in early life Um, i'm reading you you tell great stories of reading while standing by people who are being beat up and all kinds of yeah yeah i have a lot of book related material (laughs) i've in the last i would say six or seven years i've embraced just all of the weird things that i'm like i mean because you gotta milk your life right that's the only way to write and so i got great advice when i first started doing stand-up in 84 and one of them was you could make even really casual, even generic topics your own yeah. if you make it super personal, if you make it about how that has always affected you or what it's like. You know, it's so funny because I've tried for 35 years. I've been doing stand-up comedy or whatever, so 30-odd years. And I, I've tried over the years to talk about the terrible books, like the not – let's not – they're not terrible. 
they're actually, I enjoy them. I read at least, man, since 2016, I've spent thousands of dollars on romance novels. I'm not even kidding. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We all, <laughs> it's we all not, have got to do something. Got to do something. And now we're in lockdown. I've been reading um, a fair amount of YA stuff. Okay. So, YA is uh, good. Both of my sons now 18 and 20 years old, but oftentimes the books that they were reading, I would either, they would give them to me afterwards or, yeah. you know, I, I grew up on the Phantom Tollbooth. Is that one you're familiar with? Yeah, yeah, um, I read that. That's a that, goodie. Well, what I loved about it was it was just chock full of wordplay. I didn't realize that was the attraction of how much words matter. All words matter, we'll say. Right. Uh, and, how, to, and how much to, you were going to love any love all wordplay for the rest of your damn life. Right. It's, it's so true. And with certain people, intellectually, wordplay is foreplay. It's sort of, yeah, yeah. you're going to get to the mind before you get to the body by a long shot, you know? Right. My sister sent me this, which is uh, great. It's called The Girl what? Who Drank the Moon. It's a YA. It won, I great. think, the Newberry or something. It's awesome. It's a kid's book, The Girl Who Drank the Moon. Okay. But here's the book. Harriet the Spy. Oh, man. Yeah, that one's been around a long time. My, This is the one that my brother gave me when I was 10. Uh, well, maybe nine. That's the actual book. It's not a copy yeah. of the book. That's the actual book. This is the book he gave me. It's a zany oh, adventures of a child spy. Who doesn't want in on that? Anyway, <laughs> uh, but the great thing about Harriet the Spy was that I had always read before I was eight. You know, I would do a lot of reading, but I never did any writing until Harriet the Spy. Cool. So tell me how Harriet the Spy put you in the writer's seat. Well, because Harriet the Spy is about a nosy meddler of a child who <laughs> has decided that she's going to be a spy, but there's absolutely nothing going on in her neighborhood. <laughs> and so she just starts writing essentially a journal and she's journaling. And so it encouraged me to start journaling when I was eight years old, eight or nine years old. So I have like diaries from when I was eight or nine years old that I did on tiny notebooks. I think those are gone actually. But then I started the real, my real diary when I was like 11, 11 or 12. And I kept it up until I started doing standup. I don't know if you've read Meryl Marco's new book. I have not. We Saw Scenery. She actually does the art on it as well. Meryl Marco was the head writer for David Letterman back right. in the day, invented like stupid Petrix. She invented a lot of the man on the street stuff and a lot of the instrumental the in all of that. And certainly not only in shaping the content, but being part of that brain trust that was really developing that humor that we all like so much. Yeah, yeah. And so We Saw Scenery is essentially, they're, they're snippets from her childhood diary, which remind me of my own terrible childhood diary but she does the art she drew the pictures for it as well which is uh, amazing and it's really funny and smart and she draws like herself as an adult talking to her, herself as a child and then she shows the clip from the diary and then there's just a little bit of dialogue and then there's examination of what the hell it meant so it's all very funny it sounds sort of anyway. a little like a linda berry did you ever read her stuff the illustrator i read dave berry okay well Remember all very funnish people <laughs> So you had developed a daily discipline of writing, even though, was that just sort of your activities of no, the day? It was, it was boring. And then, and then I think one of my parents inadvertently told me that I was nuts and uh, when I was about 11 or 12. And so I started addressing, matter of fact, that might be all that's left is the stuff that I wrote actually this is a long story. Okay. So I, I Number so one, is it interesting? <laughs> and so, but I essentially, I wrote to Sigmund Freud. Oh. I wrote my diary, Dear Sigmund. I like that. There's the title of your book right there. Dear Dr. Freud. I, I might be nuts is what, as a child, I was like, I'm told that I'm nuts. Let's examine it. Let's figure out why they think that. And so, and it was entirely because you know, all children are weird unless you are a child that can hide how weird you are. So there's nothing to be done, right? So I was not a particularly good at hiding how weird I was and how socially awkward I was. So one of the things that I did was I, okay, so I wrote to Sigmund Freud because on an episode of MASH, 
the TV show MASH, uh, the, the, the psychiatrist in the MASH unit who would visit, his diary, he wrote to Sigmund Freud. And there was a couple of episodes where he writes to Sigmund Freud. So I thought that was funny, and I thought it was interesting. And so I did that. Now, the reason my parents thought I was nuts was because I played a game that I called a game. Imagination is what it was called. And it was just essentially, I played by myself. I While I did my chores which was my, I'm the youngest of six. And so I had to clean the attic, mop, sweep and mop all the stairs down to the basement and then clean the basement. Very simple, 15, 20 minutes every Saturday morning, once a week. And so, and then I would play down in the basement for an hour where I turned the furnace, which had a couple of handles on it, into a time machine. And I would just essentially act out scenes from television and books and all the things like that. And so I would act them out and I called it imagination, and I didn't realize for a long time until actually my stepmother told me years later that she could hear me talking to myself because of the venting systems that came from the furnace. So she's upstairs trying to watch TV. Well, she knew what I was doing because there would be crossovers. Tarzan would go beyond Star Trek. And they would both be like, who's this? What's happening here? Or it would be Star Wars and Greece, right, or whatever, you know, like it literally, <laughs> I, I, I listened to my parents' albums, Jesus Christ Superstar, when I was about 14 years old, was my first real religious experience, it was very exciting, because uh, I don't know if you've ever seen or heard Jesus Christ Superstar, but they create a human Jesus Christ, and he's a great guy, turns out, and you're like, oh, I can believe in that. That guy seems like he's a decent person. And and by our church, the, the church I went to when I was a kid was incredibly secular. So it was very much be like the nice man in the picture without any more instructions. And then go get and your by the way, it was not a picture. Like nobody had a picture of the actual guy. It was a painting right. of, a, of a white guy, which <laughs> right. is interesting in the Armenian church. Right. It sounds to me like Sigmund Freud may be writing you back about your thoughts during quarantine. Right, uh, right, right. I would say, I mean, the great thing about COVID and quarantine. When there's so many, if, so many If there's things. any, I right. mean, there are, well, because the thing about COVID and, and quarantine, there's the horror that is and the idiots that surround it. But the task that we each and every one of us have had since mid-March or whenever you went into lockdown was trying to live in this moment. Sure. Present. Trying to, yeah, trying to live in the present, wear your feet, do the next indicated thing, try not to freak out as all of my months of work canceled. Sure. I was like, okay, I'm, and I bought 10 pounds of rice and five oh, pounds God. of beans. Right. Let me tell you something. Moths got into the rice. We never even got to eat much of the rice. I like rice and beans. I'm not going to eat it every day, but I didn't have to. And that was me living in this projected future. I could do that all day long. If you want to, I can live in despair, but I don't want to. I don't want to live in some future that hasn't happened yet. So what I have to force myself to do is to remember that I am inside today. Mm -hmm. I have a home where I'm, I live in a building. Yay. That's already a win. Right. I've got a car with gas in it. I've got food and I have people who like me and love me. And then the rest of it just has to be reinvented. Uh, we all hate change. It fucking blows. And so the good things about COVID have been that I have not been home eight months in a row ever. Not since I would say 1991. We had ordered this building. This is just a tiny room that is attached to my garage. Before it was just a shed. There's a closet right there. And then they added this tiny, it's 144 square feet. And then we put raised garden beds out in the yard. So we had already had this project set up and we had already put a down payment on it so we could still afford to do it. And it's been amazing because it's a third room that we could hide from each other, right. my husband and I. Because we have the living room, we have our guest room, and then we have this tiny room right here. It's a safe house, right? It's the, yeah. where you, you, either of you can go on the lamb and- Yes, uh, right. and spend a couple of hours. So one of the good things is for me to be home these eight months is for me, and my husband and I, we've been together since 2003. We've been married since 2006, and I love him and I like him. And it turns out I have relearned how much I like him and how much I love him. 
So That's fantastic. Because there are people who are at each other's throats because of this. They're right. Because it's so hard to remember. And I know that I've done it too, where you, you forget, like you take advantage of the things that you do like. When I first got together with him, the first things that I, what I try to remind myself is what did you like about him initially? Because <laughs> those things, 15 years later, those are the base. I, those should be in, in play all the time, buddy, all the time. Now you should also be working on this and this and this. Ooh. And that, of course, is jackassery, right? The things that I loved about him initially was that he was very smart and very sweet, Though every time I call him sweet, he's like, could you please tell people that I'm also very dangerous? <laughs> but he was very, he was very smart and very sweet and also funny, but funny in a way that I was never funny because he's not a comic. He's just a goof. The guy has an appreciation of silly that I've absolutely almost, I've never had. I've never, well, I mean, can he I has tell you though, that's a great recipe in a relationship to be able to have a goof around that can make because it's our reaction to things just as you described what do we do in the present you can make the worst of it or you can turn your chores into imagination <laughs> and you can play and sing on the yeah. stairs i've often talked about the pandemic pause is the time for you to reevaluate what is it yep. that i'm passionate about what is it what is my purpose here this uh -huh. particular podcast is not intended to be about captivity of being stuck. It's about having you having the guest under observation for an hour and then sending them back out into the wild to do their thing. I feel yep. like people are a little bit more accessible right now because they don't know what to do with their time. And I find one-on-one -on -one conversations, old school phone call, that stuff is really valuable because people are willing to be a little deeper. There's a little more. Right, because we ask, yeah, we ask people how they're doing. And we know that no one's doing well, you know, that everyone is just treading water and trying to do the next right thing and trying to do the next indicated action. And so when we ask someone, how you doing, you have to say, you could actually tell me. I'm asking you because you can tell me how you're dealing with this. Because... First of all, I right. need to know. Maybe I can use that information to help me live this day through. Well, that's the heart of what story is. Story is about survival skills. Yeah. When, when stories began to be passed down, it was somebody saying, that's where the poison mushrooms are. Don't eat those, right? Then yeah, yeah. That person would tell the next person and more people survive. You yeah. Know? So it's we're like doing that. If we do it right, I'm honest with somebody that asks me. So I'm able to tell them, Hey, I'm sleeping in waves. I'll have a good bout of sleep. I'll wake up at an unnecessary time in the night. And then I write or read or do something. And, and even in the daytime, I'll get this fatigue from screen time and I'll fall flat on the bed and I'll go, what do I care if I nap? It's like being in preschool, <laughs> right? And I wake yeah. up and it's like a new day. So I might get three days out of one day as yeah. long as I don't beat myself up about it. It's cool. That's a great attitude. Be kind to your mind. It's that kind of thing where you go, oh, I see. I have control over whether this suckage is at its maximum or not. Um, yeah. I made a vision board in this time, which, because uh, I did Ron Funch's podcast, and Maria Bamford had always been telling me to do it. And then Ron's like, no, just do it. Just fucking do it. And then, so I did it. And you talk about the things that you want to do in life. So I was talking to Maria and I told her about it and I talk about it on my podcast now, this vision board that I did. And it's so funny because Bamford's like, the great thing about vision boards is that do they work when you make them? Because you put your attention on the things that you, because that's what they are. They're essentially making a sort of a list or a picture board or of what you would like out, out of your life. Do, do those things happen because you made the picture board or is it because you've told people you've made a picture board? And she's like, because uh, she used to do this bit about how the, one of the first vision boards she ever had, she put a microwave on the vision board right. and her sister saw her vision board. She said, you just want a fucking microwave? I'll buy you a microwave. And she's like, manifested. Look at that. And Well, that's true, though. In a weird way, yeah. I always say to people who have any kind of goal – I say, you have to declare it. Tell somebody about it. And they're like, uh, it turns out I have a microwave you can have or whatever. Like, cause I wanted to do more voiceover stuff, cartoons, bo books on tape, audible stuff.
you would be so good at that because you have a unique voice. I think it's that alchemy of Wisconsin and Minnesota. You know what I mean? Sure. I'm not calling you Fargo. I'm not. No, no, I'm but not... it's there. I get it. Right, but there's and... something really accessible about that voice put with the right animation or put done in a reading the right kind of content. Yeah. But yeah. Well, you would be awesome yeah. at that. I've picked up a little bit of work since saying these things out loud. So again, now I will say it on your podcast. This is something that I'm willing to do and I would like to make money at it, but I would also like to do it. So let us figure out how to do it. Well, you're so close anyway, because the thing is, is that you're already a, a person that does spoken word material. You've got the right equipment now. You've got your uh, sanctuary, your 144 foot studio. Sure. There. sure. There's, uh, there's, we got, I have really ugly sound buffer things that oh, are, is that what's we're fine that? during, yeah, those orange and brown things. That's fine oh. during Halloween. Oh, well, but maybe we, you could <laughs> uh, finish the wall off in egg cartons and then you'll be yes. good to go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a gamer. I know you're a video gamer both you and andy uh your spouse are into video games i have sons that do that i don't know too much about it right as a teenager pong had come well, in who knew because you know, i remember i used to play video games so much i had to stop playing video games if i wanted to do anything to do with stand-up comedy with the advent of twitch uh, somebody said it the other day they said who knew that i was like well if i want my stand-up career to go anywhere i'm gonna have to play video games again right. and the only video game i'm playing right now is it's Marvel Puzzle Quest, and it's just a match three, kind of like Candy Crush. But what it does is you match three, you power up your super uh, heroes or super villains, and then you have a fight, fight, fight. And and so it's just a match three with another mechanic. Another. Are game you also, though, a board gamer? We can talk about that. I played a lot of board games. Family of Six, you know, it kept us busy. Any version of I anything. I hated board games before I met my husband. And he said, you know what you got there? You got, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you got sibling rules. Sibling <laughs> rules will kill you every time. It's just like, oh, you forgot to ask for $200. You don't get $200. Right. He said, none of my friends play like that. He's a game designer. So, because he's always made video games. But several years ago, he said, I don't want to make video games anymore. I want to make board games. Oh, and then we wow. stared at each other. And then he said, yes, the lucrative world of board games. <laughs> but he, that's what he's been working on recently. He's been making board games. He has his own tabletop RPG. It's called the Hero Instant. And if you go to theheroinstant.com, it's in beta. So it's all free, the rules and stuff. And he's doing a lot of playtesting. He's working on you know, essentially making the first book, Dungeons and Dragons and Champions and all these books, they have the books. There's the Game Master's Manual. And then there's a thousand other books where there's monsters and there's worlds and there's mods and there's all these things. I love it. So That's cool. I am currently in two games of the Hero Instant, and I am in a Call of Cthulhu game hmm. on Twitch called the twitch.com slash stream of blood. I do a, a nerd poker podcast occasionally <laughs> that is a D&D &D game and it's with Brian Posehn and Dan Telfer and that that D&D &D game it's funny because my character is a just a fighter guy called Gaston Mansplain. Aha, uh -huh. good one. <laughs> and he's a good fighter, but the funny thing about Gaston Mansplain is one of his uh, powers is that whenever anyone suggests something, he resuggests it. Ooh. As that's, his own idea. Right. I understand and that. You know what that is? That's funny. Yeah. And then that's annoying. And then it's funny again. Right. So, that's uh, the best kind of funny. <laughs> the boomerang funny. It's so dumb. I have thoroughly enjoyed. And that's something that Andy has given to me is this love of this absurdity. You know, that's what I've learned from him in the last 17 years. Like back in the 90s, I was told that I was too smart to do different rooms. And I was like, first of all, you're overestimating me. And you're underestimating them. They will get the jokes, I promise you. But I lost work because of it. And it but, never made any sense. Uh, here's the thing. I'm going to make sense of it for you. The person who told you that, whether they were a club owner or a booker, was too insecure to say yes or no. That's exactly what that was. It wasn't about your audience. And it wasn't about you. And people who don't know, don't have any diplomacy or don't have any... <laughs> They just come up with their, something. Yeah, they don't know how to use their inside voices, right? They just... <laughs> it's an inside-your-head voice is my newest way. Keep that one. That one's yeah. an inside-your-head voice, buddy. Um, 
Yeah, but I, I, I also, I guess while we're joking about men's playing. I personally have never seen the world as male comics and female comics. That's just me. You're funny or you're not funny. That's the line. The more original. It's very inclusive. That's very, I mean, the thing is, is because it's like gaming in the way that you're like, this is our place. That's what the green room was when I first started out. It was like, this is our toy. You want to play our game. You have to tolerate this sort of ribbing and this sort of, and yeah. there were guys who weren't psyched about the horrible <laughs> sexism and racism and stuff. And we all just sat in that room just going, why does, and then at some point you're like, I guess he gets to be that piece of shit because That's he's what's loudest. That's about it, right? So, you know, I would say from a standpoint of the industry, it was definitely, you know, an outnumbered game, more male participants to female, but the people who before me laid pipe for me, Elaine Boozler or Paula Poundstone or Rita Rudner, these were comics that were on Evening at the Improv, and they were just other comedians that I liked. When I got to L.A., I have to acknowledge that. And then alongside, maybe in the same graduating classes of folks like Liz Winstead or Ellen DeGeneres, to me, it was just other comedians, other funny people. Play tennis with people that are better than you and you're going to get better. That was my theory. That is the greatest theory ever. But the weird thing, these are things I did not notice at the time. And it's only me talking to younger comics, both men and women, where it becomes obvious what was happening. Because I never thought of it as sexism. I thought that stand-up comedy was a shitty job for everyone. Because that's what I was sold, that it was uh, going to be hard. No one was going to help you. It might be cutthroat. It might be jackassery. Try not to be alone with that guy. Stand by the door, this type of thing. So it's just like there was that. But I thought that men had just other challenges. And they did. That's the thing about stand-up is it's not easy for anyone. And everyone is in their own fishbowl. But there was another layer of difficulties on top of the layers of straight white guys. So straight white guys would have the problems that they would have because it's not an easy job, right? It's not an easy career. It's full of ego and alcoholism and drugs and dum-dums. And then if there's on top of that some weirdo who doesn't like women, because there are weird people who don't like women. There are weird people who don't like men. There There are people who don't like black people. There are people who don't like Mexicans. And you're like, why, why? So it's just so exhausting to hate so much. Why? I know. Why don't you keep your eyes on your own fucking paper and just try to try to achieve what you're doing? And when yeah. I mentioned uh, all those uh, formative women uh, comics, what's funny is you never hear shitty things about them having some crazy ass fetish or something. You know what I mean? Like it's. Oh, right. Right. You're not going to hear about the rapist that is Elaine Boozler. Right. You're going to hear that she's kind of irritating. And why is she kind of irritating? Because she's a woman comic with the talking and the but it did it <laughs> on and on and on. Why Kamala, Kamala? And, uh, you know, with the, have you heard her laugh? You know, and you're just like, I am exhausted. So when it was revealed to me that there was this sexism, I think I just kind of, I knew it was there, but I didn't, acknowledging it never got me any work. Mm. Acknowledging sexism absolutely never made someone go, yeah, I totally want to hang out with you some more because I don't want to, they didn't want to hear it. The weird thing, like I'm doing a bit right now about how I've had in the last five years or so, a couple of dudes say to my face, you can't even flirt anymore. You can't even flirt. You talk to a woman, she thinks you're harassing her. And I'm like, are you sure you're flirting? (laughs) Uh, Because I've never flirted in my life. And the weird thing about that bit is that the way I write material is they start out six minutes. I whittle them down to three and a half minutes, and then I add three fucking chunks, and it's nine minutes again. And I'm like, God dang it. And then I whittle it down to seven minutes and then it's two bits. So they're each three and a half minutes. And so what I've had is I've had eight months of zoom shows Hmm. where I've taken the, my gender versus sexuality bit and my flirting bit. And I've found, I've got a chance because otherwise I would have recorded my new album and those bits wouldn't have been done, but I want to finish this flirting thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's the weird thing about those bits is that, they're about these big topics, right? That supposedly no one wants, in my experience, I was told 
women shouldn't ever discuss their periods or their sexuality or their sex lives or their all these things. And guys would constantly be talking about their juices that are coming out of them and their dicks. So I was like, it was just this weird double standard that what I love about the new comics coming up, both men and women, is the acceptance of women as having a right to be in that space and to do the stand-up and to give it a shot because that's all we're doing, right? Everybody's just trying. We're just going to run it up the flagpole, see if anybody laughs. And that's got a lot of the younger male comics are like, yeah, no, this is, this is a shared space. We're all at work. And, and then the women comics don't tolerate a lot of the things that I tolerated because they've got a second person in the room. It's, this is my theory. They've got someone to make eye contact with and go, what the fuck just happened? Was he just say that? And that had never happened. And somebody pointed out to me that when we were coming up, and this is another, it would be Lori Kilmartin, because she's almost exactly my age. She's also hilarious she's an out, and, and outstanding the, and the co-host of your Jackie and Lori show. So Right. And so we grew up, in, my, my comedy grew up in the Midwest, hers on the West Coast. And she said, it's like they would only book one woman per show so that they could call you from the herd. You didn't have any support. You didn't have anybody to make eye contact with. And that's, to some extent, gone. There's less of that now because there's usually another comic who's a woman that you can at least go, all right, should we storm out together or do you want to just uh, tell them to shut the fuck up? Or you could tag team. Like I went to Eastern Europe. There was one other woman comic on that tour for a military tour. And the guys that ran the thing, super patriarchal, but in a good way. Like women should be protected. You, I would beat a guy to death if he ever said anything mean. And you're like, that's great, Vargas. In other news, you also have to let us have abortions if we want. We get to make regrettable decisions because we're people as well. But I do appreciate you being willing to, to tell somebody to stop grabbing my ass. I appreciate that because the guy might listen to you more. Anyway, so like a whole person is what we all just want to be, right? right. Well, I mean, and, the idea, though, of having a second person is the difference between being a lone whistleblower and having an eyewitness, right? Like you, your confidence yes. is built so much yeah. stronger to really to live in your integrity because it's not your word against everybody else. Yes, I love that. Okay. So let's talk about how that works on Zoom, because I find that the invitation to do stand-up on Zoom is complicated. Now, you're a storyteller, so it is approached a little differently, but I assume the audio is on. You can hear response from folks. Um, right. One-liner comics are fine. I have a new one-liner jokes, which is I would never buy a gun because my middle name is Chekhov. And that joke is a little too smart for the room, but uh, who cares? There's the four people that get it. will always get it. And it will always entertain me that they got it. The zoom shows let's get, let's get back to that. And so now with the zoom shows, I will, let's talk about the technicality of the zoom shows, which are outstanding. It's, they're fine. They're they're It's a different venue. I've also done a, a stand-up comedy uh, at a drive-in. Ah, that's and interesting. so that, by the way, nobody grabs your ass in the Zoom show. That's a plot. And you can mute. I am co-host. I will mute your ass. I can remove you from the Zoom. This is an amazing tool if you are a comic that you could kick people out. Even now, I go into any Zoom thing. I'm like, hey, could you make me a co-host? Ah, very I got control issues. I got control issues. Could you make me a co-host? Because then if I am being driven mad at any time during the show, I can find who has forgotten that they're doing their dishes. Right. Or, or feeding their horse or they're cutting the carrots or whatever yeah. they're And I is. can yeah. mute them. And that's fun for me. That gives me some sense of control. But you also get the silent heckling because you have the chat thing on the side. So people think they're your co-partner in comedy. Oh, the right, right, right. They're tagging it. Yeah. 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 They're riffing in the chat. Do you remember your first proper joke that you wrote? I had a guy tell me that my first signature joke was. Weirdly enough, has there's been echoes of the same material. You echo topics. I've even pulled lines that I've never been able to use from the 80s into current day. The first signature bit I did was there was a handbook that they handed out at my college. This bit is so bad. <laughs> I actually read. It was essentially it was a it was a chapter on how not to get attacked. It was essentially just a defensive thing for women. And so I would read it and I would make fun of it. Okay. 
I would read a paragraph and then I would make fun of it. And it was just essentially, there weren't a lot of punchlines there. It was mostly just sarcasm were the punchlines. But I remember the club manager saying, that's your first signature bit right there. Because when I first started doing stand-up, I did stand-up for eight months every single night. That's And I got a 1.8 that semester. And it was essentially like I literally, I fell into stand-up comedy and I was like, I don't want to do anything else. And my sister was like, except graduate from college. And I was like, interesting. Forgot that you were the boss of me. Okay. (laughs) So this is because we're talking about creativity. This is an evergreen episode of the... Are you writing other things besides stand-up? Have you written anything in the form of a play or a television um, series? I wrote a comic book, and I, I just submitted a pitch to Marvel for another comic book. And the editor was really nice to me, and then he dropped off because I think that was explained to me by other comic book writers that I know that that's not actually how it's done. You don't pitch. They tell you that you're going to write Ant-Man, and then you write Ant-Man. So... I had a Great Lakes Avengers. It's called Great Lakes idea. Avengers. Yeah, the Great Lakes Avengers are the essentially they're the terrible sea squad of the Avengers, <laughs> and uh, it would be Squirrel Girl. And um, do they all come from the Minnesota area or what? They're stationed in Milwaukee. Okay. They're based in Milwaukee. It's Squirrel Girl. It's Flatman. It's essentially Flat Stanley grown up. Right. <laughs> uh, there's Mister Immortal who has no superpowers except for that he just doesn't die. And then there's Big Bertha, who can change her mass. So she is a supermodel by day, and her superpower is that she becomes very big and uh, squishes people. Super sensitive, super <laughs> sensitive, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, so I had an idea for sort of a COVID time comic book, so I sent him the pitch on that, which he has not read. I was like, hey, man, could you just read the pitch and just say, this is actually how it's done. Did you have? Uh, did anybody draw illustrations, or did you just sent it in as a written no, no, you just write the pitch. And then I wrote essentially the first 15 pages of the script, which he was like, stop, don't write a script. I, I would have to okay the, the pitch for you to write the script. And I was like, fair enough, fair enough. And I wrote a, a different comic book for another thing. And I've written, I've written some stuff. I want to write more stuff. What they tell you and how it's done, I'm a big proponent of break the rules, make the comic book. Yeah. Because now we're in a time that the democratization of distribution, you can get it printed. I can just do it. Right, and you can sell it from your website or through the podcast. Not a Great Lakes Avengers because it's an IP. It's it's intellectual property. There's been some very funny Great Lakes Avengers. But I have other ideas for comic books and uh, memoirs. And, you know, that Meryl Marco thing that we saw scenery, all that is is a memoir right. that she turned into a graphic novel that she did the art for as well. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. I mean, I have a friend, mm-hmm. uh, Brian McDonald. He's d- doing some illustrated graphic novels. And he's, by trade, a director. And one thing that's really fun to do sometimes is to create a piece of cover art for yourself to make it real, just like your other vision board. Yeah, so, yeah. So even if it's never used or whatever, my son came up with a character called the Robo Hobo. And the, not a robotic homeless person. Yeah. Houseless. A robotic uh, hobo. He, and it's kind of like a bionic man thing or something. It was a hobo that got hit by a train and then he got his parts replaced by robotic something. This um, is this is a socialized medicine kind of place. <laughs> Good for anyway, him. Yeah, it, but it makes me laugh, and it's like, hey, it could be real. That you can yeah, make yeah. anything real. Yeah, yeah, we've um, got the technology to just publish and and produce. You have a strong enough comic voice, and an awareness of content and storytelling, and a powerful enough audience that you don't need to be told by somebody. And I do understand the intellectual property part. But you don't need to be told by somebody how to write a comic book or how to make something interesting or funny, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, just a thanks for the pep talk. I mean, you're right. Well, I mean, there's no there's no reason why, like at this point in my career, but as you say, in, in anyone's career, you might as well try. I remember in college, which I did finish, according to my sister, uh, because my sister told me to, uh, at one point, the advisor guy was like, well, what are you thinking about doing? And it was me and another person in the poli sci department. And I, you know, I knew he didn't want to hear that I wanted to be a comic. So I said, I'm thinking about maybe a lawyer. And the other student said, 
and this was in 1988. And he goes, well, they say by the year 2000 that there's going to be 40,000 lawyers in this country. And so there, we don't need more lawyers. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not going to be a shitty lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can dream to be whatever you want to be. And then you try to do it to the best of your ability. And then you get whatever you get, right? Like I am not Melissa McCarthy, but she's also a sketch comic. But I am not, you know, I don't have the career of Whitney Cummings. I don't have the career of Eliza Schlesinger or Nikki Glaser. These are the three women comics that are currently on television. Whatever they need comics and women on television, those are the only three that they're currently booking. <laughs> and I'm happy for them because they're all good comics in very different ways, which is kind of exciting. But there's thousands of great comics that happen to be women or happen to be whatever you're, you're they, they aren't unicorns. People are always like, well, there aren't that many women comics. There aren't that many black comics. They're like, find one. Cause you got to know one. They will lead you back to a fucking herd of unicorns. I promise you they are not mythical. What do you need? You need a black trans lesbian, uh, one liner comic. She exists right. and she knows two others. You got a panel, live it up. And again, I preceded you by a number of years. Their comedy, stand-up comedy, wasn't even an option. Like we, I took a career placement test or some kind of weird well, thing. Well, it like, didn't come up, but it was an option. Right. I'm telling you, I filled out all the boxes for the thing. Yep. And at the era that I was going to school, you, I like adventure. I like whatever. You check the boxes. I and and in my case, I was into theater. So anything that was sort of theatrical or you know had to do with. Uh, Art performance or, or anything yeah right well really almost every guy got like g-man fbi agent whatever because they wanted something exciting and i had checked all the artistic things and the guy says to me at the end you're going to be a florist like <laughs> that was the only thing that was like artistic nope. and i go i don't, I don't you can't he didn't even me. say teacher no i didn't even get teacher that didn't even get to be you know. I wanted to be a forest ranger in high school, and then, um, which is weird that they're called rangers. I know. Look, forest. you're the head of head of all the rangers. It was so yeah. weird. Anyway, so the first dick joke I wrote was uh, also terrible, and it was men belong at home in the kitchen, barefoot and erect. Hello, uh -huh. 1984. <laughs> uh, that all was right. it. Bare, instead of barefoot and pregnant, it was barefoot and erect. That's the, was the twist. <laughs> okay. My, now, my first joke, I was also very young, but I remember writing the joke that I had a Mr. Potato Head that got run over by a lawnmower, and I called him Mr. Hash Browns. Oh, that's that was just like, good writing. That's just it, good well, writing, Pat. Come it, on. It felt like a joke, and I was it like, is I, a think, joke. I think I wrote a joke, right? You and, wrote a joke. And I put it in my I wrote act. a joke. You wrote a joke. Well, if this isn't... A couple of comedy dorks coming out of the forest. I don't know what is. This this actually might be a great transition. I created a little game for you. It's not it's not a big high stakes game. It's lower more, the stakes. Let's hear it. <laughs> lower the expectations. Well, this is more about definitions. So I wrote some words that are because of the dork forest. I wrote down the word geek, uh, nerd, dweeb, weirdo, dork. Okay. Mm -hmm. So those words each have a definition. And they may be fairly close, but what I'd like you to do is I'll read you a definition, okay? And Are these you, like the dork, like the scientific definition of dork or no? Uh, I mean, they're not, I didn't make them up. They kind of come from Urban Dictionary or whatever. Okay. So this, and some of them are fairly close, but I want to just see, you may know all of these and it may seem like a no contest. I don't know. Well, it's people have asked me the difference between dork and nerd and geek uh, a thousand times. Okay. They're like, are they the same? Are they not? I was like, they're all under an umbrella. They but, are under uh, an umbrella. So I've broken the umbrella down into a series of spokes. Okay. And I'm going to read these and you just say which you think it is. Okay. Okay. And I did have, if you want to hear the things again, it could be a dork, a weirdo, a dweeb, a nerd, or a geek. Okay. Someone who is passionate about learning, being smart, uh, and I'll say an academia nut, just to be funny. Gonna go nerd. Okay. A boring, studious, or socially inept person. Gonna go dweeb. Okay. Looking good. Okay. A person whose dress or behavior seems strange or eccentric, odd or unconventional. I don't know. Geek? Incorrect there as well. Hold on. Okay. 
You got two of them right so far. Someone who has difficulty with common expectations and interaction with others. Gonna go geek. <laughs> that was dork. Oh, that, that was dork. Dork. So the yeah. clothing. I got dweeb, nerd, geek, dork. What was the other one? Weirdo. Uh, weirdo. And the weirdo is the person whose dress or behavior seems strange or eccentric, odd or unconventional. Oh, but, that was the clothing one. Okay. Yeah. Now here's what's interesting, and you probably know this about the origin of the word dork, right? Do you know about that? It's the penis of an elephant. Well, it is a slang term in the 60s for penis or alternate form for dick or whatever. But Right, right. But that was supposedly that's that's the physical name of a gray whale's penis. Okay. <laughs> is their dork. Okay, there you go. Remember, now, the I... podcast has been on for 14 years. People want to talk to me about dicks. I bet. I bet. Well, now, here's another thing, though. Let me go back to nerd. You did get nerd right. Well, the one that we had. That was academia, right? Yes. That was the one that's for smart and learning. And a person who is passionate about a particular area, subject, often obscure and difficult one, was the geek. Oh, okay. And right? was like, the socially bad one the dweeb? The socially, you got that one correct. Yeah, that was uh, socially inept, boring and studious. The dweeb, dweeb is a little bit more. But I have a little side note on the nerd. Do you know where it first appeared in print? No. Uh, Dr. Seuss book, If I okay. Ran the Zoo, is where they first traded it back. So Theodore Geisel wrote in that his narrator, Gerald McGrew, claims he is he's going to collect a Nurkle, a nerd, and a seersucker too. So that's okay. the first place they find the word nerd. Do you want to know the first time I heard the word nerd was on Happy Days? And it was when Joni <laughs> fell in love with Potsy and she wrote letters to him addressed to Dren, which is nerd spelled backwards because he's the opposite of a nerd. Potsy right. was. She loved him so much. They made him a Dren. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was dumb. Um, uh, <laughs> Well, that was fun. Again, none of it meant to be insulting. I just thought maybe you, you would know the nuances there. It's beautiful. Nuances oh. are uh, always a fun game. What are you binge watching these days? You have something that's uh, in your... Endeavor, a show oh. on Acorn, which is on Amazon Prime and costs uh, $5 a month because that's how they're getting us all. It is a prequel to a show that is already on Amazon called Morse. And it's uh, one of those constabulary British cop shows. It's set in the 60s, so oh, it is Constabulary adorable. is a fantastic word. Yeah, and I can only pronounce it because I've watched six seasons of Endeavor. Uh, did do? you watch The Queen's Gambit? Is that one you've taken in? No, no. My brother said that he's read the – one of my brothers has read the book and has watched the show. And it's interesting because it's one of those retconning of history kind of things where it's like – wouldn't it have been great if women could have played chess, right. but they can't. And right. so what we're going to do is we're going to create this world where women got to play chess. And then because everybody's just a stalk of meat with a brain on top with a different sausage casing. So <laughs> a sausage casing of a girl, people don't see that. They look at, they see the sausage casing first and they see the stalk of meat with a brain on top. Second, we would love you to switch that. And then you go sausage casing brain that likes to play chess, let her play chess. And then your second thought should be, I would never sleep with that. How about that? That would be my soundbite. I'll have to pull that so I can use it for the foodies and for the. This is not an excuse for cannibalism. <laughs> it is also, that's uh, that's part of the flirting bit, by the way. <laughs> Your discussion of your diary is a fantastic way for a daily discipline, but is there anything you could think that you can share that would get people jump-started? In this particular time in our lives, right, we are living literally inside of a dumpster fire that we cannot get out of. So you have to take care of yourself. And you have to help the person in front of you. If you are not a scientist who can cure COVID-19, don't go there. If you cannot stop institutional racism and sexism, all you can do is you'll wear a mask, you'll follow the science rules to try not to add to the COVID-19 thing, and you can also not be a dick. You try to help the person in front of you. I'm a 55-year-old white woman. The best thing I can do sometimes is to shh and throw $100 towards fairfight.org, right? Or those might be the two things that I can do. But the thing is, is I can be polite in a retail situation. And because it's all practice, the answer to doing the right thing is simple. 
just do the right thing. That is not easy. That is just simple. And they say, you intuitively know how to do the thing that used to baffle you. They always say that. They say, you intu- you, if, if you keep doing the right things long enough, you will intuitively know how to do the right thing. Well, that's like saying the iPhone is intuitive. It's intuitive once you learn how to use it. So this thing doesn't have a button on it anymore. So it took me a week of using the iPhone to realize, oh, I have to swipe up to get to the homepage. So I will intuitively know how to do things that used to baffle me. If I practice doing the right thing every time, the right thing will then become intuitive. I follow you. Well, so yeah. just, be, just be a decent person and practice at it and know that you're not going to do it right every time, but you'll get better at it. And that will help your creativity, I always think. I am in a place where I, as you said, can help somebody else's voice be heard and I lose nothing for it. So I think that we all need to be mindful that we don't get taken down a notch by lifting somebody up. They're going to help us over the wall. And you said two things. You said you had a willingness and that's all it is. And that conscious effort. I love Uh, love it, man. I am so grateful to you sharing this conversation, getting to know you better. I'm going to encourage folks to go to JackieCation.com to listen to the Jackie and Lori show and to check out the Dork Forest. You're the best. You're a funny comic, a clever person, and a a writer to watch. So I thank you so much for spending the day with me. Do yourself a favor and treat yourself to the new Jackie Cation album, Staycation, available everywhere. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe, and we will always hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative in Austin, Texas, under the savvy producership of Amanda Rosenberg, with sound editing under the steady hand of Marcus Siniscalco. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp, with additional production support and sanity provided by Delilah Lovejoy, Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help us grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityandcaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot fun. As in cross your T's and dot your fun. Ciao for now. Staring at an empty page Stepping on a ghostlit stage